G'day, this is Lee Diffie from NBC Sports, and you're listening to The Podium. This is The Podium, where we celebrate the best in the world of motorsport, and we're joined right now with a guy that works for NBC Sports in America. He's the lead commentator for the IndyCar series. Many Australians, of course, would remember him from his time calling the Supercar Championship on Network 10. I speak, of course, of Lee Diffie. Lee, thanks so much for joining us on the podium. Hey, nice to be back on, Jason. Thanks for having me. Yeah, that's all right. What's been a very busy few weeks for you, Lee? We had the action at Gateway over the weekend. We'll talk about that a little later on. But before we get into that, we want to talk about the Indianapolis 500 and quite a unique event this year, wasn't it, before we talk about the on-track action? Uh, very, very much so, and, and just such a different feeling because, um, you know, go, going going to the Brickyard with 350,000 people and going to the Brickyard with nobody in the stands, it's really, it's quite, it was quite a surreal experience. Um, we, we, we got a little bit of a taste of what it was going to be like, you know, several weeks earlier with the Grand Prix of Indianapolis, the road course race there, when uh, IndyCar and NASCAR competed there at the same time for the first time. So we, we, we kind of knew what it was going to feel like. But then again, when it's the 500, it, it's so special. And then you, you just miss all of the atmosphere. So um, still a great race. Uh, unfortunately, it's finished on, on the yellow, but uh, a very different race with nobody there for sure. Well, yeah, talk us through your experience. You know, you had carb day and qualifying, obviously, in the lead up to the big race. However, what was the emotions like on that big day with, you know, the, the lead up to the big one? Well, Carb Day for me is just so much fun because you have your you have your final practice and all the teams go through their checklist and make sure that you know they're they're, they're race ready, so to speak. But then that aside, there's concerts going on out the back down down towards the Snake Pit on the infield. There's a lot, of, even though there's not a heck of a lot going on, there's still a massive crowd because on the front stretch in the afternoon you have the pit stop competition. You know where it's just car versus car. The, the crews do their pit stops and then they blast off for a short run. And it is the most incredible experience. It's, it's, you know, even though it's in the greater stadium, it's like a small stadium unto itself. You've got a DJ there. You've got Dave Calabro, who's the voice of the Speedway. He's pumping everybody up. And you've got the pit stop competition. It's one of the most unique um, and exciting uh, sporting experiences I've ever had outside the race. And that wasn't on. There was nothing. <laughs> there was no atmosphere. So it was, it was, it kind of made a lot of us very sad um, just, just because it, it, it had never happened like that before. And it was, it was a highly unusual experience to live through. Um, and, and let's hope we get back to, to normal next year. You're doing plenty of Australians proud over there with all the work that you're doing with NBC Sports. Uh, of course, you've covered this event before especially this year with all these added expectations of bringing the experience to the fans that can't be there. What was it like for you? How did you approach the event weekend in terms of the big call? Well, I think, I, I, I think we were all, you know, and I can speak for our whole team, myself and Paul Tracy and Townsend Bell. We were just super cognizant of the fact that there were no fans. And I think probably, you know, we, we can't, we can't step outside of the box too uh, far from what we normally do, but I think we were all cognizant of the fact that we had to mention the fans more, you know, and and perhaps instead of speaking to the viewers, you know, we we would reference that as fans more, you know, just to 
I don't know. We, there was there was there was no there were no guidelines. There's no kind of textbook on how to handle this. We we just kind of went with what felt natural and appropriate. Um, but you know, even even this past weekend at Worldwide Technology Raceway or Gateway in St. Louis, there there was a small there was a small crowd. Um, there, there was about 7,500 people, and we would we were completing our pre-race show, and the na- national anthem finished, and then you heard the, the the roar of the crowd, and I, and just in the moment it just came to me, and I said, wow, wasn't that great to hear applause? We love having you fans back, and you know it's it's those little things that you miss, just a a cheer or a, a, a whistle or, or a round of applause. So yeah, we we, we just did I think what, what felt appropriate in the time. For sure. Well, the on-track action was quite spectacular throughout the race weekend. Uh, before we talk about some of the other contenders, let's talk about our Australians. We had Will Power and James Davison once again competing in the big event, and unfortunately for them, it didn't really go to plan, did it? No, it didn't. It didn't. And I mean, unfortunately uh, for James, he was out very early with the most bizarre um, uh, brake uh, failure. Uh, an explosion, and it was just—I mean, the, um, the the rotor exploded and and then caught fire, and you know it was thousands and thousands of degrees hot, uh, and he was so lucky to escape. I mean, that could have been a really nasty incident. So for Davo to get away with that one uh, unharmed was very lucky, but really unfortunate for him. He has some good pace there. He—he—I um, don't—I don't think he's been able to get the results over the years. I think that was his sixth Indy 500. And, um, he's a better driver around there than his than his results uh, indicate, and um, and Will just you know all, all the team Penske cars, all four team Penske cars had a pretty rough qualifying, you know with Newgarden being the best in 13th and Will starting in 22nd. That's highly unusual, as as all, all of your listeners know. Um, so he just had to methodically work his way forward, and you know he did he did I thought he made good progress, but. You know, it's it's unusual to be talking about willpower in tenth or in the teens, or you know, say he's worked his way forward to twelfth. Or you know, that's that's very unusual. So it was a pretty it was a pretty rough experience for all, all fourteen Penske drivers. Yeah, well, it seemed to be all the Chevy runners that really struggled. Even Renault-bound Formula One driver Fernando Alonso he had a really disappointing weekend. Only twenty first at the end of the day. Why why do you think the Hondas had such an advantage that weekend? And they brought something. <laughs> they really, they really had worked. Uh, you know, Honda Performance Development. They had really worked in the off season and in the in the more than one year since the last Indy 500 um, to bring something special for specifically for the Speedway. You know, this past weekend it, it, it definitely uh, hit back to its normal balance with with a good blend of both Chevy and, and Honda cars at the top. Um, but yeah, what, 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 Honda certainly haven't opened up as to what it was, but whatever they brought, that it was sure was effective. And yeah, with Fernando Alonso, of course, he's going to take a few years away from competing in IndyCar now with the new F1 deal. What have you made of his, what he's contributed to the Indianapolis 500 event and what's he like away from the track? I, I got to spend about 20 minutes one-on-one with Fernando um, on, at the end of Carb Day, actually. And we just sat on the staircase in Gasoline Alley um, beside one of the garages and we just chatted. And he seems to be in a really good place. You know, he's, he's super excited about going back to Formula One. Um, I asked him, you know, why, why are you doing it? Um, like, do you, do you still feel like you have unfinished business? And he said, no, absolutely not. 
he said, I want, I want to go. He wasn't happy with how, how it ended last time. And he said, I just want to go back knowing that I've got these two years and I want to enjoy it. You know, he said, I can't say that I enjoyed it last time, the way that it finished. So he said, I feel really fortunate to have this contract with Renault and I want to make sure, you know, and, and he also stressed, which I want to as well, don't get me wrong, it's not like I'm not going to be trying and not going to be, you know, competing as hard as I can. He said, but I just, I want to go back and take it all in and, and enjoy it. So I thought that was pretty, pretty cool. Um, what he did at Indy, again, uh, the, the result didn't reflect how well he drove. I was talking to his spotter, Scott Goodyear, a couple of days ago, and, and, and Scott, um, Scott, of course, finished second in the Indy 500 twice and some of the closest finishes ever. And he, he just said what Alonso did was incredible. The team looked at, at all of the data and the steering traces, et cetera, after, and the fact that he, I mean, the, the car just wasn't working for him, but Alonso Magic, he made it work to get it to the finish. He, they said, you know, he was he was turning right, you know, almost as much as he was turning left at the speedway. He had his hands full, and how he didn't end up in the wall, how he didn't cross, was, you know, some more Fernando Alonso Magic. So, um, again, he did a brilliant job, but the, 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 the race went in such a manner that he wasn't towards the front, and we were focused on what was happening with, with Dixon and Sato and everybody else. And, um, uh, yeah, he, I, I feel for him because I think, I honestly think that's probably his last go at the 500 as well. So, um, he, he loves the place. He loves IndyCar. Um, and he has really enjoyed doing all of these marquee events. Uh, I'd love to see him do Bathurst one day. Wouldn't that be cool? Oh yeah. That'd be awesome. Someone has to try and get that going. <laughs> so, Maybe his old buddy Zach Brown, you know, with um, uh, with Walkinshaw and Andretti United, maybe he could make something happen one day. Who knows? But uh, off to Formula One for him, and I think it'll be it'll be enjoyable hearing his name and watching him in F1 again, and and especially given Daniel Ricciardo's results and Esteban Ocon's results for the weekend, the Renault the Renault seems to be turning the corner. Yeah, it's starting to look promising, which is good. You mentioned him a little earlier, Takuma Sato. He managed to get his second. Indianapolis 500 win. I think it was quite a surprise to a lot of people because a lot of people were expecting someone like a Scott Dixon or even Alexander Rossi to just run away with the race. However, Takuma kept battling on and he managed to be in the right place at the right time with some excellent strategy. Yeah, and he he had had a really good period, a two-week period at the Speedway. His, uh, you know, leading into qualifying, his four-lap averages were good. His, his no-toe uh, times and speeds, you know, when, when he's not in the draft of another car, were respectable. So he had given all the signs leading up to um, up to race day that he was going to be there. So, um, and, he, and if you look at his results over recent years, of course, he won in 2017. Uh, off the top of my head, 18, I can't remember, but in 19, you know, he finished third. He very well could have had his second last year. So there's something, there's, there's something that clicks for... Takuma at the speedway and, and uh, he drives and races so well there. Well, yeah, a lot of other big names as well were on display. We had the Andretti name obviously topping the timesheets for qualifying and then, yeah, with Takuma Sato, Bobby Rahal once again in victory lane for his team. A great a great result really for the sport, wasn't it? I think so, for sure. You know, to, and to have to have Bobby's son Graham in really strong, really strong representation from Rahal, Wedderman, Lanigan. Um, I, I, the thing that was the thing that was very confronting uh, for so many people uh, were the ferocious nature of the crashes this year. I mean, it's not unusual. 
cause to have cautions and crashes at the Indy 500, but the way in which the cars crashed is just a brutal force. Um, I mean, that Spencer Pickett crash at the end that caused the race to finish under yellow was just mind-blowing. And Jay Fry, the president of Team Penske, was telling me the other day, he was on a pre-race show, and he was saying, you know, some of the kicks they saw were between 50 and 90 Gs. So pretty, uh, it, was a, it was a pretty wild race in, in, in many, um, many, many aspects. We'll talk about the effects of the aero, the aero screen shortly. However, what is it like for the drivers getting out of the car? Is it Because a lot of people are saying there might be some difficulties with drivers getting out of the car after a huge shunt. What have you found from your experiences with the drivers? Well, yeah, they, 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 they've worked out they've worked how to do it now. You know, like, it, 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 of course, it's a change. Um, they've got to, the one added thing to their routine of getting out is the air hose, the helmet blower now, um, you know, which obviously was necessary to... To, to aid in cooling more because with the aero screen, the drivers were struggling a little bit with increased cockpit temperatures. So, you know, they've got it. But the AMR safety team is real fast. They, they know how to get there fast and, and to aid the driver getting out. And, and, you know, several of the situations, Rossi and Davison, et cetera, involved, you know, a car that was on fire. Um, so I think collaboratively between the driver and the AMR safety team, they, they, know, they know what the tricks are. Well, yeah, and what have you made of the aero screen overall? It looks like it has protected a lot of the drivers even early on this season. Oh, for sure, for sure. If you go back to uh, Iowa Speedway earlier this year when we had another doubleheader weekend on an oval, um, Colton Herder and the rookie Renus VK came together and VK you know, climbed the wall and up and over the top of Colton Herder's car. And for sure, if that aero screen wasn't there, the, the underside of VK's car was going to be on top of Colton Herder's head. And so just right then and there, um, it, it, it was worth everything, all of the, the, the years of development uh, that was taken. And I, I think it's just tremendous that Formula One and IndyCar acted in the manner they did to get the, um, the halo in F1. And then, you know, in Formula One, they, didn't, they, didn't, they decided not to go with the Red Bull Technologies device of the aero screen. And, and Jay Frey and his team at IndyCar said, well, we, we like it. We're going to go that way. And and all of the testing and development between Red Bull Technologies and Delara, the Italian company that makes the IndyCar chassis, um, I think they've done a tremendous job. And, you know, at, at first I thought it looked a little clunky. Um, but now the teams have played with different designs, you know, with their respective colour schemes, according to their sponsors and whatever. And depending on the design, uh, the sticker designs and the, and the paint scheme designs, some of them look fantastic, I think. They look like little fighter jets. So uh, it, it's really grown on me. It's been a season with lots of change, you know. We just talked about that there. However, you know, the lockdown meant a lot of changes had to be made and a lot of, uh, you know, adapting. One of the things that we saw during the lockdown was sim racing taking off, not only in America, even as in Australia. Uh, what was your experience like calling these these virtual races? <laughs> it was fun. It was it was it was definitely different. Um, you know, and how how we made it work was it was uh, it was a relief in the end. You know, I was uh, I, I was at my dining room table, you know, on my on my MacBook, and uh, had a had a decent set of headsets and a microphone. And, you know, I'm, I live in Connecticut. Paul Tracy lives in Scottsdale, Arizona, and Townsend Bell lives in Los Angeles. And so we're all in our respective homes and uh, and and just making it work off a computer. So it was pretty pretty crazy, but cool at the same time uh, that we that we made it work. And and 
the people the people at iRacing, um, which is obviously the world leader in, in simulated racing, they're based not too far from me, a couple of hours up the road here, and they're outside of Boston in Massachusetts, and they did a phenomenal job how they coordinated it all and to make it happen, and then NBC came to the party to actually air these races to to give people something to watch. Um, First one we did. The first one we did it was just purely digital. You know, it was on it was on IndyCar.com and iRacing.com and on YouTube, etc. Um, but then from the second round on, we did it on NBC Sports. And yeah, I think I think um, <laughs> it was it was certainly some uh, some crazy races. And I think uh, I think it, it helped fill a void. You know, everyone was 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 dying for some form of entertainment in racing, and so it filled a void. We got it done, and, and I think the drivers had some fun. But you know what it did? I think it was tremendous for, for our champion, Scott McLaughlin, because even though it was only uh, in, an, in a simulated world, it, it helped build Scott's brand over here, um, you know, in addition to his tests early in the season. And um, I, I think it really, you know, people who are motorsport fans globally know, certainly know who Scott McLaughlin is. But as far as, you know, specific to IndyCar, I think that really put him on the map even though, again, it was only in a simulated and virtual world. Well, yeah, if you look at the unofficial points, he would have won the championship for the virtual IndyCar series. He also did that test day earlier in the year, and he was very impressive in that. Uh, there's a lot of uncertainty at the moment around what's going to happen with Roger Penske in terms of the supercar championship, if they're going to continue on with that program next season even, and where that puts Scott McLaughlin. Um you know, it was announced a few weeks ago that Acura Team Penske won't be continuing on next season in the IMSA Championship, and there's still uncertainty around what the IndyCar team's going to look like. What do you think's going to happen with Scotty for next season? Um, well, first of all, it's important to say that, you know, I'm not part of the team, and, and I, I don't know, and, and Penske, Team Penske has always done a very good job of, of not leaking information and letting any secrets out, but let me say, let me put it this way, I would be highly surprised if Scott McLaughlin wasn't here next year in the United States. Very interesting. Do you think that that would be just an IndyCar program, or do you think that Roger would look to put him in a few other of his championships as well? I don't, I don't, I don't think, I don't think they would mix and match. It, 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 I think, I think, you know, I do know that there were discussions for a long period of time between Roger Penske and the president of the race team, the race organization, Tim Findrick, as to which path, uh, they would like Scott to go on. Would it be, would it be starting him off in the NASCAR Xfinity Series with a, with an end goal for being in cups, or would it be IndyCar? And I, I think, I think the, I think the better fit for now for him would be to go IndyCar racing. So you know he's already been in the car a couple of times. He knows the routine of the team. He was he was dialed in. He was online with the team during. Um, uh, the entire race, he was. He had Jonathan Duguid, who was Elio Castro Nevis's uh, engineer, who was also um, he was also Scott's uh, go-to person during that iRacing series. So he's plugged in uh, to the IndyCar side of the, the organization already. So um, I, I think he could, you know, if you, if you think about what 2020s looked like in the NTT IndyCar series, <coughs> Renus VK got his best results of the weekend uh, at Gateway at Worldwide Technology Raceway uh, a couple of days ago. You've seen um, Pat, uh, Pat O'Ward's not a rookie to the series, but he was at the 500, but 
tremendous result at the 500. He's running third in the championship behind Newgarden and Dixon. Oliver Askew, despite having a couple of big crashes recently, um, he's already been on the podium. Um, he hasn't had the he hasn't had the results of, of the other rookies so far, but um, you know he's he's done a nice job. And then you've got Alex Palou, who's phenomenal talent from Spain. You know he hadn't even been anywhere near in Japan on a single day test at Mid Ohio, and he comes into the series and he's had a podium. So I mean, I don't I, I would I would put I would put Scott McLaughlin up against any of those guys, and to do well. So I don't see why he can't come to the series. But, of course, there's a huge financial hurdle that has to be um, leapt to make it happen. You know, does does one of the drivers lose their ride uh, in order to make way for um, Scott McLaughlin? It's certainly not going to be Joseph Newgarden. So, you know, I don't know. I, I'm led to believe with Paddock Chatter that all three drivers are secure for next year. So does that mean with the sports car program going away, that Roger and Tim put a fourth Indy car out there for, for Scott. I don't know. It's possible. He's done it before. Um, you know, in the in the years of um, having uh, Juan Pablo Montoya, Elio Castro Neves, and Simon Pagenaud back then, I think, was the foursome. So, um, you know, he, it's not like he hasn't run four cars before. Um, but I don't know. It's a great it's a great topic of conversation, and I think it's an exciting prospect. Um, obviously, it would be a loss for the Supercar Championship in Australia not to have Scott there anymore. Um, but I think at the same time, his fan base would be hugely excited to see what he can do in the IndyCar series. For sure. From one Kiwi to another, let's talk about Scott Dixon because he has just been on fire this season. Why has Scott Dixon been so dominant come most race weekends? Um, I, think a, um, I think that there's a really good... Uh, bond and relationship that has happened very quickly with his new race engineer. Um, Scott was Scott was a driving force behind some change at the team, and his longtime engineer Chris Simmons, who he also had enormous success with, Chris kind of moved uh, sideways and up, if you wish, and Chris kind of oversees the whole engineering program at the team now, and then in, and and so he's he's kind of got that overall view, and then you've got. Um, uh, his his new race engineer, who has done a, a tremendous job in sliding into that spot, and uh, and that they, they've just they've just really bonded. They've done they've done an awesome job. And I think when you can when a when an engineer and a driver uh, can talk the same language straight away, I think you know they they you know that you don't have a lot of time to practice and qualify and get ready for the race, and especially on these double header weekends. So if you know the the teams use the phrase roll off the truck if the, if the car can roll off the truck already with a predetermined setup that will get those opening laps productive and then you can make some finer tweaks on it i think that that's that's a huge step so um that's been the one key change at the team and and look scott's scott's just turned 40 but to me he's the he's the epitome of age is only a number i mean there's no stopping him you know tony canaan just took his last indycar race possibly at the age of 45. So there's no reason why Dixon can't keep going for another five years. And can you imagine the amount of wins and championships he could possibly potentially rack up in the next five years? I mean, he could, there's no reason why he couldn't surpass AJ Foyt as, as, you know, the all-time best as far as championships won. He's about to, he's only two, he's only two wins away from 
uh, tying Mario Andretti for the second most wins of all time. I mean, by the time Scott Dixon hangs his helmet up, he, he is going to be one of, if not the best, that IndyCar has ever seen as far as championships and race wins, which is incredible. You mentioned Tony Kanaan. Him, as well as Elio Castro-Nevers, have kind of expressed a desire to try and continue if they can get a ride. Do you reckon they will get a ride next season? It's mm, a tough question. I think, I think um, as long as you bring the, a bag of sponsorship money, um, then, then rides can rides can come to fruition. But it's um, it, it's tough, right? The the, the global economy and it's, uh, you know h- how do you make it happen? You know, Tony's always had a, a good group of sponsors around him. You saw that the weekend with Big Machine Vodka and Big Machine Records. Um, you know, they've always been a huge sponsor of his and supporter of his. But to be a supporter and then to actually bring a season long budget is a very is two di- very different things. Um, do I see them being at the Indianapolis 500 next year with 18? Yep, I do. I don't think we've seen Tony's last race or Elio's last 500. I would, and I'm saying this not with any fact. I'm seeing it just purely emotionally that I would. I, I don't. I don't want to see them stop just yet. You know, I think is Tony's full-time career over. I think it. I think it is. Would he do a? Would he do an oval-only series next year? Kind of like what. Ed Carpenter does, where he just has the ovals and not not the street and road course races. I think that might be more achievable financially for for TK and for Elio. I'm not sure. I'm really not sure what 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 2021 looks like for him. You know, he's in the he's in the same. All, all, all of these guys are in the same boat. You know, Takuma Sato, Sebastian Bourdais, Scott Dixon, Elio Castro Neves, Tony Kanaan. They're all 40 or above, and they're all still excellent drivers and incredible athletes. So. You know, if they don't have to stop, why stop? Keep going. Exactly, exactly. Hopefully they can get deals together and we can see them on the grid again. Let's talk about Gateway. Uh, we had the double header over the weekend at Gateway. We saw Scott Dixon get one of those records, 50 wins in IndyCar over the weekend in race one. And then the second race went to Joseph Newgarten. How do you see those races play out? Yeah, the, the Saturday race I thought was probably more enjoyable. Sunday was a little bit more kind of follow the leader. Um, obviously, Saturday's enormous crash coming to the green flag didn't didn't help, but maybe it did help mix things up a little bit. But that was that was kind of very uncharacteristic and a little bit crazy. Um, but uh, no, they, they were they were two enjoyable races, and again, I, I think we saw some some, some good battles. I, I do think that they're they're just judging that temperature of the feedback of the race fans I wouldn't be surprised in the off season you know nothing's going to happen this season but I wouldn't be surprised if IndyCar made a tweak to how the races finish you know I just don't think fans enjoy um, seeing races finish under yellow and um, the reason why both you know two in two weeks Sunday's race at Gateway and then also the Indianapolis 500 finished under yellow purely because IndyCar has a, a procedure and that procedure involves certain amount of laps to get the field together, get the field organized, get the, you know, get the lap cars out of the way, etc., to get ready to go back to green. And that takes a certain amount of time. And, oh, and by the way, clean the track, you know, that you're under, you, you, the races come under caution for a reason. So you have to a, make sure that driver is okay, get rid of, get rid of the car, get rid of any debris on the racetrack, then get the field sorted and then get ready to go back. So on both occasions, those 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 cautions came at the Indy 500 and at 
and uh, in St. Louis at the weekend with three and four laps left, and that's just not enough to get not enough for race control to get the situation under control to clear and clean up things. And even though Sato rebounded off the wall on Sunday and kept going, there was still debris on the track, and you know it, it just it takes time. They can't just wave a magic wand and hey, let's go back to green. Um, so I don't know. I wouldn't. I think it, I don't know if anything's going to happen, but I wouldn't be surprised if it is under discussion because race fans have a healthy appetite for seeing races finish under green and racing to get that result as opposed to cruising under yellow to get that result. So yeah, I think it's kind of watch this space. Let's see what happens in in between the 20, 2020 and twenty twenty one season. Well, yeah, you mentioned economic challenges as well as different rule changes and everything. I have to ask. I know you're over there in America. Have you had much chance to follow any of the Supercar Championship this season? And if you have, what have you made of it and some of the changes and even the big announcement about Holden earlier in the year? Yeah, that was that was that was massive, obviously, and a massive hit to the championship. Unfortunately, I don't have a chance to watch it as closely as I would like. I kind of keep up in in highlight form, <laughs> uh, you know, trying to keep up with so many different different series, but. Um, you know, the, the Supercar Championship, like like so many other major sports around the world, has had to deal with, you know, it's kind of a hot potato, isn't it, of, of, of juggling to get the races in. You know, and we're the same. We're, we're the same in IndyCar where we, we began, we, we all turned up at St. Petersburg in Florida in March to go. And, you know, in the morning when, when practice was meant to start, we all got told to pack our bags and go home. And, excuse me, that's happened with supercars with state border closures and, you know, venue changes and just supercar management, just trying to do the best that they can um, to, to, to get these events in and in a safe and appropriate manner. And so, um, you know, each time I, I wake up in the morning and turn on my phone and read some headlines about the supercar championship and, you know, more often than not, I, I feel sorry for them because I know what it's like, what we've gone through here. We're still going through it. You know, we, you know, I'm talking to you on, on Tuesday morning here in the, in the US on the 1st of September and we don't know, it's less than two weeks, we don't know if Mid-Ohio is happening or not. You know, we're waiting on, and that's not an IndyCar thing, that's that's a state government thing in the state of Ohio, um, you know, waiting for the governor uh, to, to approve it. So, you know, even as late as we are in the year and in the season, if, IndyCar, if, if Mid-Ohio happens, the doubleheader that's proposed and planned, um, there's five races left in the IndyCar season. If not, you know, again, IndyCar has to do what supercars have done and you have to pivot very quickly and, and, and try and come up with an alternative venue and then pump in another double header to get the numbers up. That's why we've got so many double headers this year. It's making up for races that have been cancelled. Um, and, and, you know, I've quite enjoyed it. I think that the drivers have, it's tough on the teams, but, you know, are we going to race or are we not going to race? And if it has to be a double header, well, let's do it. So, yeah, I, my, my, my overarching thought and feeling about the Supercar Championship is it's, it's looking good again for McLaughlin. And um, I just uh, I, I want them to um, keep going as often as they can and, and, and get that championship done in a, in a safe, safe and appropriate way. And it's just, you know, for all of us, Jason, this is going to be a year that we will never forget. Just very quickly on the race formats... How much of this do you think we'll see implemented next season? Because it's been a cost-effective strategy for some of the different races, like having two-day race weekends for some of the supercar rounds and 
and even with NASCAR, what they're doing, just showing up and racing without qualifying and, any, and anything. How much of this do you think we might say implemented down the road in terms of economical sense? Well, let me just let me turn the question around on you. Has 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 having no practical qualifying changed the way that you watch NASCAR? Not so much, no. No, exactly, exactly. So I think it's been an incredible, incredibly educational year as to oh, we can we can trim this up a little bit. You know, we don't have to be here for days and days and days. Um, you know, for the fans, they want to, they still want to have their multi-day experience. But I think you can do that to the to your words. You can do that in a two-day format as opposed to a three-day format. Um, and I think you know. For the if you work backwards from the end result of the race result, if you work all the way backwards and you take it from a team point of view and and from a dollars and cents point of view, you know, do you need to be tearing up equipment days and days and days to get to the same result? And then now people would argue, well, we might have a better result if we had more opportunity to practice because there's you know in all series these days testing is so highly limited because it's a it's a it's a budgetary situation uh, and reason. So I don't know. It's it's. I I think uh, to get back to your to your question, I think that I, we will see some trimming somewhere along the line, because I think it 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 it, it makes sense. You know, it makes sense in every in every um, manner. Just to you know, more isn't always better, right? <laughs> yeah. And and on that Holden announcement, do you think that? say supercars for example they should be looking more towards pleasing the fans as opposed to attracting manufacturers um that's a great question i tell you i tell you what i would like to see um and i know it's not i know it's not in step with where the world is going with with automotive manufacturing and you know electric cars and hybrid cars and all that kind of stuff. But to me, over here, I know I'm a long way away and I don't work on the series anymore and I haven't for a long time, but to me, they will always be the V8s. And to, to me, I think the fans still call them the V8s. You know, people over here certainly don't just call it supercars. They still call it V8 supercars. Yeah. And I think that brand is just so strong that it's ingrained in all of our brains and, and just in our motorsports bloodline, you know, and, and, so I don't know. I don't even know what I'm saying, really. I don't even know what I'm what I'm trying to say. I, I, I miss that V8 brand. So is it possible or feasible to, you know, continue to race V8 cars, V8-powered cars? I don't know. Um, would, would the championship be the same if it went to a two-litre format? I don't Probably not. I don't know. You know, the, the, what the future looks like, I think, is challenging, um, where you, where you, you, ha- you, have to, you have to dance on so many lines, right? You've got to please the fans. But you've got to have manufacturers in there who are going to bolster the championship financially. Um, but then you have to have a product that is attractive to the fans and it's good racing. It's got to be a good television product. So there's so many boxes that need to be checked. Um, so I'm glad, uh, I guess what I'm saying, I'm glad I'm not the decision maker. I'll, I'll watch from afar. I'll be a spectator. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. Nicely handled anyway. And only a few races to go in the IndyCar Championship. Five races. You've got a little break now before mid-Ohio. Scott Dixon has a 96-point lead in the championship over Joseph Newgarten. What's your prediction for for the championship this season? Oh, Scott Dixon all the way. Dixon for a sixth championship. Um, 
that, that he's he's not going to stumble now, and uh, and even if he did stumble a little bit, he's got plenty of breathing room. Um, uh, there are no more double points races. Uh, there used to be double points for many years at the last race. That's not going to happen this year. So it's just five normal point races, and so therefore, uh, I think it, it works massively in Dixon's favour and just the form that he's been in. He's never had a season like this. So eight, there's been nine races on the season, and he's won nearly 50% of them. He's won four. He's never had a season like that. His best was four wins in the 11th race. So, I mean, his his stats, his driving, the results, championship lead, all that, it's massively in Dixon's favour. So, you know, I'm, I, I should be selling, selling, you know, watch and wait, but it, that's my honest feeling. You know, the, it, it's the race for second. You know, now Joseph Newgarden and Pato Award and the Kumasato and others would tell you tell you very differently, but... Um, uh, that's not the case. And just before we let you go, Lee, I know it's probably been a while since you've been in Australia. I know a lot of this is dependent on the global pandemic also. When are you hoping to get back down to Australia? Oh, boy. That's a, that's a, that's a sore topic in our family. <laughs> <laughs> and we, uh, both both my, my mum and my mother-in-law were meant to be here uh, this year for a lengthy period of time. They come over every year, so they haven't been able to do that. And we uh, we get back to Australia um, usually every other year, and um, so yeah, we're missing we're missing being down there. We're missing my home state of Queensland's beaches and going to Noosa and uh, seeing family. And so I don't know. That's a great question. Well, you know, if if travel lifts and and the world gets healthier, we'll be there next year for sure. Well, there we go, Lee Diffie. It's been Awesome to have you on the show. It's great to have such a familiar voice calling the action over there in America and continue doing it, Lee, and all the very best of luck for the remainder of the season over there. Well, thank you so much. It's great to be on the show. And, and you know, if I can um, just uh, just let all, all of your listeners and, and the Aussie race fans know that I'm, I um, obviously clearly haven't lost my Australian accent and I'm, I'm proudly flying the Australian flag over here and the Australian motorsport flag over here. So thanks so much.